At Huntington, we've been asking ourselves, can we make saving money any easier? And we think we've solved it. Introducing Money Scout. It analyzes your spending habits, income, and expenses to find money not being used in your checking account, then pushes it to savings automatically. Why would a bank do that? Just to help people thrive. That's how we reinvent banking. Huntington, welcome. Subject to eligibility, terms, conditions, and account agreements. Learn more and enroll at Huntington.com slash MoneyScout. There are so many reasons not to skip breakfast. So many savory, mouth-watering, tasty, delicious beyond all belief reasons. Actually, that last one was pretty convincing. Stop by for a McDonald's breakfast. Mix and match a sausage biscuit, sausage McMuffin, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Any two for just two bucks. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Hey guys, have you ever kept a secret? As your wife or husband now looks at you to judge your reaction, we all have. But in many cases, those secrets seem to slip out. Maybe after the third glass of red wine, perhaps, ladies? Benjamin Franklin once said, Three may keep a secret if two of them are dead. Also, not a big fan of keeping secrets was the Buddha, as he once remarked, Three things cannot long stay hidden. The sun, the moon, and the truth. But these gentlemen have obviously not been to Little Old Skidmore, Missouri. Because in this isolated farm town, population 250, there is a secret. And for the last 40 years, the entire town has been hiding the identity of a killer. So, strap up your overalls, mount those John Deers, and hi-ho, here we go to the town that committed the ultimate murder. But that's called the Hello Friday, which is deceiving because it's not Friday. The hint was not Friday. The hint was Debo. All right. From the movie Friday. um, Neither of us have seen that movie. And there was no Debo cocktail. So I found a Hello Friday cocktail. It's Friday, Friday, gotta get down on Friday. Which is bourbon and ginger ale and Angostura bitters and ice. I'm proud of you because I don't think I can pronounce that word. I'm pretty good about pronouncing words, but that one always gets me. The Angostura thingy? Yeah. Nicole, where are we going? Who are we killing? I have no context for either of these gifts. You've never seen Who Shot Mr. Burns? No. Holy shit. What did you do as a ch- as a child? Well, I wasn't allowed to watch The Simpsons. I wasn't either, but I still <laughs> what know what the it fuck? is. The I've Simpsons? caught up now. Yeah, it was yeah. not that appropriate for you know younger. Yeah, people. what are you Keep talking about? I've been watching since I was I wasn't, like seven. I wasn't five allowed. Years older, first I wasn't of all. allowed to watch The Simpsons, and I'm pretty sure my dad didn't want me to watch Power Rangers, but I did anyway. What and I dressed fuck? up. My dad would like. I dressed watch up it. as a pink Power Ranger for Halloween one year. Is the best costume ever. I was too. So, okay, I guess I'll just come up with a guess. So, um, well, somebody gets shot like in this um, like in this episode of The Simpsons and it takes place in a Springfield. I'm going to say we're going to Oakland and someone gets shot by a baby. Surprise shots. Surprise shots. We don't know what they are cuz they're a surprise. <laughs> 
Ugh, gross. I hate blue curacao. Yeah, gross. All right, so tonight we are doing a special request for Steve. Steve! Steve. Hey, Steve. What's Steve. up, man? Yeah, Steve, what's Steve, up? Is Steve in Wisconsin, if I, am I remembering correctly? Um, I Teacher don't know John if he's in Wisconsin he's or not, but he's somewhere around them corn states. Well, he suggested this one. This one's in Missouri. Oh, uh, he might be there. He, uh, he might. I oh, there remember. is a Springfield in Missouri. Oh. We're actually going to a very small town. Called Springfield? Not Springfield, Damn. no. The town is Skidmore, Missouri. This is from an a article online. Skidmore, Missouri doesn't have the population of a small town. It has the population of a small shopping center. Ooh. Oh. <laughs> Okay. So there's a, there's 250 people that live in this town of nothingness. There's like not even a trip advisor on fun shit to do like cemeteries or anything. I can't even poke fun at it. I think there's one restaurant in this whole town. Okay. But this is actually a very, very popular town with the- Because of this case? Because of this case. It's hmm. kind of like Plainfield, Wisconsin. I wonder if someone that lives there is a podcast listener. That would be incredible. That's like us getting a podcast listener in the one continent that we have not got even one listener out of all the millions of plays we've gotten so far. Antarctica. That's Antarctica. And I tried to do a true crime story from Antarctica. And there is one, this like researcher stabbed someone. Ooh. But they think he was just going insane because of the cold. But the guy didn't die. So I'm like, well, it's a murder podcast, you know. So if I did that, maybe I could get one person in that fucking country. You could, you could try maybe like a story in Patagonia. So you get maybe some scientists who would be taking trips there. We're going to a mid-morning Friday, July 10th, 1981. You guys weren't even born yet. Nope. Neither were you. That's debatable. Is it? I don't think so. All right. So this is for Steve. And I want to start out this with with something we haven't done before on this podcast. Or maybe we have. We're just too drunk to remember. I want to start out by reading a verse from the Bible. Oh. The English Standard Bible. Is that different from other We Bibles? have one God-fearing person in this room if she wants to read this. Not you, Nicole, the atheist. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. This is from the English Standard Version. This is Genesis 9, 6. Oh, Genesis. That's the first book of the Bible. There you go, Jen. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. I'm going to get that tattooed on my wiener. <laughs> shit. That's Fuck ambitious. That. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's a long uh, sentence there. I'm going to get some of those extends y'all were talking about on quackery. Keep that verse in mind. Whoever sheds the blood of man by man, what does that mean? Basically, if you kill someone, then his blood shall be shed because God made whoever you just killed in his own image. So it's basically an eye for an eye. That's what okay. the verse is saying. Did you see that? Sure. Uh, I don't know. I don't look into it, damn it. All right. Well, can you spark note it and see if they give us a translation? But translation, what is it? Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. What the fuck? That is, the, you don't need a translation. I, I think it's saying. I think it's saying that if you kill someone, the killer will also die. Because what? No. Oh my god, you guys! If you kill someone, 
that gives you the right to be killed as well. It's yeah, what it means. It's like so simple. We don't need a translation. We're oh my god. Okay. Okay. Somewhere. Stop looking into this. Okay. This You're... is this is why there's so many freaking religions out there because no one can come to a consensus. Well, I have just had a long day, and maybe I'm not able to read into things. Okay. You don't have to read into things. You just had to read it. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? We're going in the middle of the day. It's mid. 1 p.m. Everyone just ate. Now, this is in downtown Skidmore, which I know there's not a lot of people. Downtown. But everyone is there. Everyone that works down, down well, I say downtown. Is downtown like a park, like a big no, open field that the, has like, you know. I'm no, assuming there's no, no stoplight. There, there is no stoplight, but there are buildings. There's a bank there. It's like an old Western town almost. In fact, this Ooh. story reminds me a lot of a Western type of setup. July 10th, 1981. This is mid-morning in Skid Row. More. And <laughs> Skid Row. That's what it's called. Skidmore. Oh, Skidmore. Fuck, I put Skid Row. <laughs> what I want you guys to understand is there were witnesses to what's about to go on. There were a lot of people downtown. I know Skidmore isn't, you know, packed with people. But everyone and anyone was downtown that day. Does that make sense? I mean, business, all business occurs in this one part of town. There's a bank there, the the one cafe, mom's cafe. There's a bar, D&G's taverns right there. There were people coming out of the tavern. There are people coming out of the cafe. A man and his wife walk out of the local tavern and they sit in his truck. Now, a lot of people, about 60 people, from the tavern, follow him out, but it's not like a, a good way. It's it's very sinister, okay. And they all surround the the man's truck while he's sitting inside the truck. And then what goes off next is basically a what what most people would think is a firework display. There are shots from shotguns from. Uh, revolvers from rifles all aimed at this one truck. I'm going to show you the truck the, right now. With the couple inside? With the couple, with a man and wife inside. This, oh, this is, is weird. This is the truck. Is You see the <clears throat> windows busted out? I'm going to show you a better picture in a minute. Uh, go to talkmore.com because you want to see this. So yep. there's an angry mob. If you were not, and oh, you're not you describing see, it this way. Do you see DG's? Yep. That's the tavern. He walks out of that tavern. And he's sitting in the truck and you see the window blown out. Do you the see the blood? blood? Yeah. Yeah. Running down his seat. Go to talkmore.com to blood. see the blood. I mean, it's black and white, but you can see the blood stain. Basically, he was slumped over because he got shot in the head twice. That's reminiscent of Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. There were bullet holes all in this truck. Okay. All in this truck. And here's the town folk at the time right after this occurred. The reason they're looking into his truck right now is because when this man was shot in the head, he pretty much died instantly. And the truck was on and his foot pressed down the accelerator. So the truck is revving up right there, but it's against the curb. So it's not going to jump at Anderson Park, but it's. Huh. And it did that for about 45 minutes until the engine blew. Oh, <laughs> And but the, then it, but was, it didn't blow up the car, though. It clearly. didn't blow up the car. The engine just blew, and then it was dead silent. Now, I want to say that the ambulance did not arrive for another hour. Was okay? there just not a, an ambulance nearby, like in that town? 
or did they Do not? you see all those people? Mm-hmm. Not one all of those of people. This this story is kind of like the Kitty Genevieve story. Not one of those people called the ambulance, called the police, did anything. They just stood there the whole time. Well, they were the ones that shot him. Or were they? Or were they? And what about the female passenger? She survived. And what? I want to talk about one of the bar patrons actually opened her door when all this fire was going off and drug her out. So was she not a target? She was not a target. And she, I'll tell you about later, she like pissed herself and everything else. And she was crying. You're about to hear, you're about to read something from her right now. Actually. It seems strange that if she was not a target, that they would do that with her in the car. Well, in the her first name, place, the wife's name is Trina. They shot him, said Trina, sobbing. What are you talking about? Asked Alice. Ken, they shot him. Alice could barely make out the words. Who shot him? She asked. They did. Is he hurt bad? No, no, Trina wailed. He's dead. Oof. Let me get this out the way right now. The book we're reading from right now that you just read from is In Broad Daylight. This is by Harry McLean. It's a really good book. What you're going to be reading tonight is most likely from this book if it's not from like a newspaper. McElroy's wife had just called, the dispatcher said, crying hysterically and sobbing that her husband had been shot and killed. Over and over, she said that they wouldn't stop firing, that the killers just kept shooting him and shooting him, that they wanted to kill her too. McElroy is the victim here. His name is Ken McElroy. I'll show you a picture of him in a second. When Cheryl heard the crack of the rifles, she saw the window shatter and McElroy's head bob down. An instant later, the second shot pushed his head further down, and she saw Trina open the door and jump out screaming. Blood and dirt streaked her arms and blouse. Why didn't Trina call the ambulance? Well, she was or pro- Cheryl, her friend. Yeah. Uh, well, Trina was probably in shock from the event. And she was in the car and she just saw her husband. Well, they don't have phones. I mean, this is 1981. Bar doesn't I mean, have a phone? Yeah, but to run, they have like a, you got to understand, this town is so small, they don't even have a sheriff's department. The sheriff's department is in the neighboring town. So any cops that patrol this town has to come from the next town over. So mm. this is a very isolated town. Every single person, you can better believe yourself that 250 people that live there now know each other by first name, by last name, by by everything. News travels really fast in this little town. All right, this is the guy right here. His name is Ken Rex McElroy. At this picture you're looking at, he's 47 years old. Now, everyone called him Ken. His real name was Kenneth. He was 5'10". But a lot of people said he looked 6'2". He was 230 pounds and he was, quote, grossly overweight. He was very soft-spoken when he was not angry. Hmm. His shoulders were broad. He had a massive barrel chest and his arms were thick as tree trunks. His hair was naturally a dark brown, but he had dyed it pure black for years. Alice Wood had seen pictures of him when he was younger with brown hair and a pencil-thin mustache. He always kept it oiled and slicked back, 1950s style. Now, before we go any further, I need to clear one thing up. This murder happened, like the book said, in broad daylight. There were a lot of witnesses, a lot. And I'm going to get to this later, but in that little tavern, there were about 60 people that had came from that tavern. There were people in the bank. There were people in the cafe. The whole town was there, the entire town. 
Okay, keep that in mind. In the bar for this, not not in the bar, but uh, there were people in the um, there were people in the Legion Hall, which is like the little community center. There were people in the bar. There were people in the cafe. There were people all around this town. There was people going to the bank. I mean, this was one in the afternoon. To have no witnesses is preposterous. And the reason I'm saying that is because after this incident, a grand jury formed in everything. Everyone was interviewed. Mm -hmm. Okay. They had formed a special task force outside of this county. They came in and interviewed everyone. Yeah. Everybody in this town. Okay. Everybody. This was this was featured on Larry King Live. Tom Brokaw did a segment on it, 60 Minutes, and every other affiliate you can think of covered this case. Not one of those damn town people saw anything. Wait, what? If you can believe that. Of course not. Even though, you know, some of them had guns. So I'm just I'm just saying that just keep that in mind as we go on and talk about what this is. Hold on. As we go and talk about what this is, and then you can see where I'm going with this. Okay. So let's get into his background a little bit. He was born June 16th, 1934. This is Ken McElroy. Now, his father was a tenant farmer. You guys know what that is, right? It's like when you basically, during the Depression, you lost your land. So you have to farm on someone else's for a little bit of the share crop. Mm-hmm. Kind of like a migrant worker. Now, he grew up with his father on other people's farms because they would live at the farms and they would do this menial work for menial pay all day long. So it was a kind of a shitty life. Okay, he grew up very poor, obviously. This was during the Depression time. Depression happened October 1929. This is 1934. So it's going on right now. Yeah. By all accounts, he was actually an attractive guy when he was younger. He looks like a mobster in the picture that you showed us. Mm. When he was young, girls saw his eyes as sexy but kind of cold. When he was older, they became icy black eyes that could see into your soul. Ooh. So what do you guys think so far? Well, it reminds me a little bit of, um, it's a little bit different from the book, um, but Big Little Lies, the show, it's kind of like they all see something happen, but nobody says. Is this a true story? No, it's a fictional story. But it kind of reminds me of that where every, th- there's a ton of witnesses that see what actually happened, but they all kind of agree not to, like, no one goes forward. None of them sign. Ooh, I have to watch that show. That's on my watch it list. It was great. The book was awesome. Um, I, when you say that there were 60 people and none of them saw anything like that's, that's, a, that's quite a number instead of saying if there were like 10 people, that's like, okay, that's kind of weird that no one saw anything, but 60 people kind of makes me think that there was a mob hit out on him. Plus the other difference with this in the show, like in the, in the show that I was talking about, it would, it could have been an accident where the person who died, like could have tripped and fallen over. You think that was an accident? No, no, no. What I'm saying is the the difference with this show where they were all kind of like, oh, it was an accident. You know, no one actually killed someone. Like, obviously, someone shot this guy. Multiple people obviously shot this guy. So the fact that they're even still saying nobody saw anything is kind of crazy. Unless he was involved in, this is the 1980s, maybe he was a Russian spy and they had a sniper hit on him from above one of the tiny buildings that made up this town of 250 people. Ken's father bought an old farm and him and his children and the grandkids all move in. Okay, this is with Ken, this is with Ken's father and his wife, all the grandkids. There were 18 people living in this sh- little shanty oh. at one point. 
there were junk cars, dogs in cages. Because he was a he practiced coon hunt hunting. Oh, you know? we're Stella. Yeah, so he practiced coon hunting. So there was dogs in cages chained up everywhere. There was Aww. junk everywhere. When little Ken did go to school, when he would show up smelling like a skunk, Aww. like oh. pure garbage skunk. It was so bad, so so bad that many times he was sent home because the stench was overbearing. So he hardly ever went to school. He actually failed the fifth grade twice, which made him bigger than everyone, uh -huh. right? Because he was held back twice. And the teachers considered him very mean and very hard to control. Probably sounds like it was a defense mechanism. Well, yeah, especially because because he was held back twice, he wanted to make sure that his classmates like knew that he was an alpha and like he wanted to keep them from making fun of him for being held back twice because he wasn't you know as smart as them maybe so he was using that as you said like a defense mechanism that's my assumption but but he seldom laughed when he did in the words of a family member it was from the outside not the inside there was never a belly laugh just ha 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 and then it was over <laughs> yeah, Nelson. yeah, he is like Nelson. That's funny. So obviously he became a bully. Okay, sounds like he became a bully and stayed a bully. What Nicole's reading tonight is from the book In Broad Daylight. I'll put a link to it on talkmer.com. It's it's a very good book. It's a little lengthy, but I mean it's a big story. But it's it's very. Uh, I, I definitely recommend it for all you true crime aficionados out there. One former classmate explained it this way. When I came to the Graham School in the fourth grade from Elkhorn Country School, one of the first things the other kids told me was about Ken McElroy, the type of kid he was. I was told to stay away from him, not to have anything to do with him, that he pushed other kids around. Another classmate recalled, I don't care who you were. You didn't mess with him. If he came up to where you were sitting and said, hey, I want to sit there, then he moved. He wasn't the biggest kid in class. There was one really big kid. He must have been six feet and 200 pounds. They never crossed Ken's path. This is going to be kind of a premonition for things to come. This is what his dad, how his dad reacts to situations. Ken learned very young that he could get more. He could get more in life not doing the hard work in the honest way. He knew that he could make more money by stealing and get what he wanted by stealing and theft and screwing people over. So he started stealing at a very young age. And this is how his father reacts. Ken was also known to steal. One winter day, the owner of the gas station and grocery store in Graham caught him and, the, and another boy stealing some items. The man called Tony and told him about it. Later in the day, Tony burst into the store with a long, curved hunting knife in his hand, slammed the owner up against the wall, and held the knife up to his throat. Tony said, quote, If you ever touch my boy again, I'll cut your heart out. Oh, shit. Okay, so you can kind of... Do, do you start to see where we're going with this story? He's an asshole. Now, in 1952, he married a girl named Ulita. Oleta. I'm surprised he got somebody to marry him. Yeah. Well, no, he's actually a very attractive guy. The The picture you saw doesn't do it any justice because he's big. He's got a big old beer gut. He's like 50. But when he was a young whippersnapper, you know, he was pretty well built and he had those 
you know, blue eyes that kind of pierce through your soul. He actually had a lot of women, a lot. He would, there's no problem getting women for this guy. In fact, I read uh, somewhere that it kind of boosted his ego to, to go through so many women, you know, because everyone looked at him like, well, how do you get all these women? He marries an Oleta. They move to Denver and he worked construction. Now, this was failed from the start because like I said, he didn't do honest work. He liked to steal. And he soon figured out that he could steal. He could be a thief and make way more money than he can with a jackhammer. It's also really important to know because we've seen this in so many cases before, so many cases, that he was injured. Now, he was 20-something at this time when he was working construction, but he did have a head injury, okay? And a lot of the serial killers and the psychopaths that we study have been through some kind of head trauma, including myself. McElroy told people that his injury resulted in a steel plate being implanted in his head, and many people attributed much of his subsequent bizarre and violent behavior to the plate. Eventually, he moves back to Missouri. Now, this is when he starts stealing these fat old hogs from these local farmers. Basically, this is how he makes money, and I'm going to go into this later. But he steals hogs and anything else that he could sell from a farmer. Now, these farmers, because I grew up on a farm, my granddaddy was a farmer, they ain't got money. So if you go steal my granddaddy's cows, that's going to hurt him. Right. So it's not like he's stealing from the rich. He's stealing from people who are the p- poor. people that are poor. And he's basically making a lot of money doing this. He's, he's like the opposite. He's like anti-Robin Hood. He's stealing cows. He's stealing hogs. He's stealing um, pesticides. He's stealing anything he can put his hands on, guns, whatever. He knew where all the keys were to each farm, and he would go in when the farmer wasn't there, there at the cow auction, stuff like that, you know, and he'd go in and he'd load them hogs up in his trailer, and he'd, he would sell them on the market. Do you guys know what a fence is? Not like the fence out there in the backyard, but a fence. You hear this a lot in cases that uh, deal with, like, uh, art theft and stuff. A fence is basically how I kind of can explain it is I'm going to go steal something like maybe an art painting. A fence would be someone that I trust that will buy that painting and then will be able to sell it to whoever, Ah. you know what I'm saying? That fence right there. So it's almost like a protective barrier too. I'm not trying to go out and sell it to the mass market. He's not taking these hogs to the auction. He's taking these hogs to a fence. Whoever is, in cahoots with him, and then that fence is probably going to an outside county auction and selling these hogs. That's what a fence gotcha. is. So that's what he was doing. Huh. Interesting. Never knew that. Yeah. So have you ever heard the term fence? That's what it means. It, they use it a lot in the art thief in the art theft. I hear it all the time. Okay. Now, as I said, he was a he was a whippersnapper, buddy. And women loved this guy. And I know it's hard to see now because you know he's got two bullet holes in his brain, but Back in the day, his eyes could really pierce through you and make them little britches wet. <laughs> nice. I might take that out. Yeah. Have you guys seen the movie Idiocracy? No. Yes. Holy shit. You guys I have, have seen that one. <laughs> I, we Ten all seen Simpsons. I've seen Idiocracy. We all know that I, I, I am really cinematically deprived. So you shouldn't be shocked when you ask me if I've seen a movie and I say no. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, 
In this segment, we're going to take a shot every time a woman gives him a baby. So, uh oh, who has the liquor to take a shot with? We're he, not taking shots of Blue Curse, I can tell you that much. He moves back to Missouri and he hooks up with this girl named Donna, which gives him a son. Okay, that's one. A few years later, he marries a girl named Sharon, which is 15 years old and from a poor family. Uh, now, he's going on 28 years old right now. Is he divorcing these women or is he just like marrying them as he gets them? Uh, I'll show you in a minute. Huh. Good question. Like a sister wives type thing. He had plenty of girls wherever he went, and they were always young, younger than his 17-year-old friends. He would laugh and tell them they didn't have to worry about him. You're too old for me, he would say. I like my woman young and tender. I like that young meat. Yep. By yep. young meat, he meant 13 or 14. Oh, my gosh. One 13-year-old, Donna G, used to sneak out of her farmhouse in the middle of the night to see no. him. No. Oh, that was poor young girls. Young girl, get out of my mind. I now, this is, this is where you start to see his personality. They didn't last very long, and I'm not going to get into it. She actually lost half of her chin because he shot her with a shotgun. But moving on, July 1959. She... That's like not something that's <laughs> she easy to lost move half on of from. Her chin? Yeah, he shot her with a shotgun because he was pissed. This guy is a is not a really good He's guy. A bad and I'm dude. A, I'm gonna get into it. Is this it. one of those stories that you're trying to get me to like count my blessings or something? Yeah. <laughs> or it's like one of those stories. You could be that, dating no, this asshole. <laughs> one of those stories where like at the end of it we won't feel bad that sixty people didn't see anything happen. Yep. That's yep. what it's about yep. to sound like yep. to me. Well, you guys you guys have cracked the code and I'm gonna say this is the hundred and twenty fifth episode and I know you don't see it now, and don't get mad at me for saying this, but I thought about this before I'm going to say it. I have, never, I have never done a story thus far that I was so happy to see someone die as I did this story. Ooh. Wow. I mean, That's like, saying something. Yeah, I mean, like we've covered Pee Wee Gaskins. Now, let me go back to Steve, the, the, uh, our Supremo that requested the story. Now I can say what his comment was, since you guys kind of understand what's going on. He says... Never get tired of hearing about Ken Rex McElroy from Skidmore, Missouri, a guy that got what was coming to him. Hmm. Huh. So thank you, Steve. This was a fantastic story. And can I ask what the Debo connection is yet? Or are we not there yet? Well, if you've never seen Friday, you don't understand. Well, explain it De to us, right, though. Debo in Friday is not just a bully, like he's bullying uh, Ice Cube and whoever the other guy is. And he's not bullying the whole town per se, but everyone is just terrified of him, terrified beyond words of Debo. When Debo comes around, everyone changes their attitude. Everyone knows how violent this guy is and what he can do. And he gives zero fucks. And if you stand in his way, he'll literally kill you in a second. That's the Debo in Friday. He's the he's the. The dragon, if you're like a fiction reader and, you know, the, the one that needs to be slayed at the end. Right. The um, the the one that is oppressing everyone. He's like the boss at the end of Mario. Yeah, he's Bowser. Yeah. Bowser. Yeah, he's basically Bowser. Shit. Yeah. OK, so now you kind of know what we're talking about now. I Like I said, and you guys may agree with me. I have never wanted to see someone die so bad in my life than this story. This is a 450-page book, and it fucking pissed me off reading this shit. The shit that you're going to hear this guy did is 
unfucking believable. On a scale of one to <clears throat> Susan Smith, how angry am I going to be? You were mad at Susan Smith. Oh, she was pissed. You didn't hear me? I got real fired up. Oh, I don't really get mad at those stories. Like, I don't know. I kind of feel sympathy for those women. Ay, ay, ay. In 1959, she gave him a son named Jerome. Okay, and then he basically blows her chin off with a shotgun. In 1961, he meets a girl named Sharon. She gave him a daughter named Tammy Sue. Sharon was 15 at the time. So he basically gets her pregnant, locks her in the house. And in fact, at one point, he locked her and the baby in the home for two days. What? And then he would constantly beat the shit out of her. And then once... At one time, he brought a 14-year-old girl. Now, this guy's 30-something now. So he's a pedo. He's truly a pedo. I mean, this is uh, when 1961. Doesn't matter. 1961. He was born in 1934. So he's getting up there in age. He brings a 14-year-old girl named Sally to his house to live with him and Sharon. Sharon didn't like this, obviously. Well, yeah. And he would basically go from room to room and have sex with both of them and beat them up the whole time. I mean, it was, it's, I, I'm a, you guys, you guys are going to read some stuff here. I think we're going to get a new scale tonight, Nicole. Oh, boy. One night, Sally was dumped out of the Ford onto the lawn into town, screaming and bleeding, her clothes torn and ripped. The people who found her took her to the hospital. In their words, she looked like an animal hit on her. Afterward, Ken got a hold of her and threatened to kill her father if she didn't do what he said. A few days later, she moved in with him and Sharon. Here, go ahead and read this. Sally told a friend that sometimes McElroy would beat Sharon and her and then have violent sex with them using objects. Sometimes he would simply go from one to the other. Sally grew tired of taking turns with Sharon, and after a while she began to feel that she wasn't worth much anymore. Being with Ken made her feel like trash, a wasted piece of flesh. Keep in mind, this number one is child molestation. These girls are 15 years old. Oh, yeah. Okay, and he is fucking 30. He is twice their age at this point. Sharon escapes and moves in with a foster family. Now, this isn't the first girl to escape. In 1961, the other girl, Sally, had a son with him named Ken Jr. Sally had a daughter with him in 1963 named Lisa and a son in 1964 named Jeffrey. So we're up to like, what, five or six kids right now running around this house? Sharon, who comes back, had a daughter named Teresa Lynn in 1963. Sharon had another one named Tina Renee in 1964 and a Debbie Anne in 1965, and on one occasion, both women were in the hospital at the same time delivering this guy's baby. Push, 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 pull. No. No pull. No pull. Right beside, no pull? <laughs> no. You don't what? just pull it out? Well, the, I'd pull the it doctor, out, swing it around by its cord. Woo! Which is why you'll never be a father. <laughs> I mean, the doctor might help pull it out, I guess. Uh, but you've got to be careful because it's slippery. Caution, oh my god! Wet. That book that you read is fucking ridiculous. And the, the doctor looked in and make sure the uterus was completely emptied. I'm like, what the fuck is it? Like a cave system? No, I think. Like, <laughs> what the fuck? Well, that's like what I saw the goats giving birth a couple weeks that's ago. That's gross. Okay, women are gross. Around this time, when these girls were pushing out these babies for Ken, 
another girl came along. Her name was Alice. She was 14 years old. 14. Now, this is in 1968. So he was born in 1934. That's 34 years. He's 34 years old. And he meets a 14-year-old named Alice. And she delivers him a baby named Juarez on September 19th, 1968. Do you guys want to shoot this guy and not tell anyone who did it? I yet? just want to know, like, <laughs> like, like how is he seducing them? Like, how are they keep or is he raping because them? Because like- there are 14 year old girls that come from poor farming families and they see this guy who's older, who gives a, a little interest whatsoever in them because they don't get any because they're living on an isolated farm. And then he basically woos them. It doesn't take that much to do a fucking 14-year-old. Well, here's the thing is that when I was 14, I don't think that I was attracted to 34-year-olds. Jen, you weren't on an isolated farm with no education at all. And all you did all day was milk cows and clean the kitchen. You don't know me, Okay, bro. you were you were in a nice school and you you were educated. These girls are not. They're, they're farm poor as like what I was growing up. Go ahead, Nikwiz. Ken beat Alice badly that night for her role in the attempted escape. In the midst of his fury, he whirled on her, shot her ha- shotgun in hand, and yelled that he was going to blow her head off. Instead, in a lightning movement, he drew the barrel back and brought it around full force on her face, oh. smashing her nose and breaking both cheekbones and her brow. Children in junior high and grade school grew up hearing stories about Ken McElroy. People whispered that he had raped a 14-year-old quitman girl who became pregnant and died delivering Mm. twins at home because she couldn't afford to go to the hospital. Mm -mm. A year later, according to rumors, he returned and raped her older (gasps) sister, who later ended up marrying one of his best coon hunting buddies. All right. So would you guys say that you guys saw anything (laughs) that day? (laughs) Yeah. Or should I keep telling you how Um, great this guy is? I think we'll get the general (laughs) gist of, of this guy. In 1971, a girl named Marcia, which I've done lost count, gave him a baby named Tonya, and in 1973, she gave him another baby. All right, that's a lot of babies there. All right, let me talk about Trina. She was the the wife that you read. She was the one... The, the one in the car. Yeah, she was the one in the car that you read earlier. She's a Kansas girl born on January 24th, 1957, so she's young too. He actually started seeing her when she was late 12 years old to 13, 12 to 13. Yeah, almost 13. I guess it's legal in some states. You know, like some girls, some girls haven't even had hit puberty yet at that point. Now, this is when Ken was 38 years old when he met Trina. At first, Ken took her to St. Joe and bought her things like clothes and little gifts and candy. Then he began taking her to the Tic Tac Toe Motel in St. Joe where he molested her. So she didn't even know what sex was. And, you know, now he's. Basically raping a 14-year-old. Now, she became pregnant like they all did. So she actually filed a deposition of rape when they split up. And this is what the deposition said. Quote, kicking and slapping her by pulling her hair, exposing her to vulgar and obscene language, and by causing Trina to exhibit herself nude before him. She actually drops out of school. Now, this is from one of her best friends at the time. She started skipping school and getting in trouble. After a while, her attitude changed because she just didn't care about anything. Ken McGillery began coming to the school and sitting out in his big fancy car and waiting for her. When school was out, Trina would go with him. 
The school didn't like it, and there was trouble over it, but he kept doing it. It got so she didn't have time for me anymore. We were still friends, but we didn't run around together anymore. After a while, they weren't really best friends anymore. Maddie's believes nature is beautiful, majestic, serene. But human nature is inventive, intrepid, reckless. Nature says, look how many colors I can fit in a sunset. Human nature says, look how many hot wings I can fit in my mouth. But human nature needs nature. That's why there's Maddie's all-natural acid and indigestion relief. A drug-free remedy for human nature. Available at Walmart, CVS, Walgreens, and Amazon. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. There are so many reasons not to skip breakfast. So many savory, mouth-watering, tasty, delicious beyond all belief reasons. Actually, that last one was pretty convincing. Stop by for a McDonald's breakfast. Mix and match a sausage biscuit, sausage McMuffin, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Any two for just two bucks. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. So he sits outside of her school? Yeah. So how long were these guys together? Because if she was, are we are we close to the These mark? girls all overlap. It's not like I'm breaking no, up with you. No, I know. But she, he was with this girl yeah, for a long time. Yeah, this was in time. 1981 when this murder happened. Yeah, but they all overlapped. So they were two or three girls living at the house at the same time. And he was basically, I mean, he would, he would sleep with them, not feed them or anything, Make them stay in the house. They couldn't leave anywhere. You got to take care of the babies. He would leave for a week or two or to go wherever with and find another girl. Maybe bring her back to the house. Trina lived on the farm with Alice for a few years. And as I said earlier, he would go from one girl to the next and have sex with them. And basically the family gave up on her and she has has no friends. So she basically stuck. Now she's got a baby. She's stuck. And I know some of the girls escaped. That's the terminology they put escaped, you know, but Trina was basically stuck. Now she did at one point try to escape with the help of Alice. She, the other girl living at the house at times, she takes the babies and runs away. The girl jumped out of the Buick and stood on the sidewalk. The stock of the shotgun rested on his hip. Come out here, you fucking bitches, he yelled, or I'm coming inside to blow your fucking brains out. Brenda took her two kids and Alice's babies and stuffed them in the closet in the back bedroom. McElroy was getting worse, out of control. Bring my little boy out here, you fucking bitch, McElroy screamed at Alice, or I'm coming inside to blow y'all away. That night he beat her so badly that from now on, Alice is going to have intense migraines for the rest of her life. He then goes to Trina's parents house okay which fucking hated him obviously he's like a fucking 40 year old with her 14 year old right he goes to the parents house and he gets a can of gasoline pours it all over the porch now the parents aren't home the dog comes out and he shoots it (laughs) kills the dog right there burns down the parents house completely burns down the parents house this is like that not even that bad okay june 19th 1973, he's got three criminal felony charges. Rape with a girl he got pregnant. Arson for burning her fucking mom's house down. And flourishing a deadly weapon. And also an amended complaint saying that on June 12th, he raped Trina. And that's what you read earlier. This also kind of reminds me of the murder murder in Marple case. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. 
All right, now. That's a throwback. Uh-huh. Episode I liked, two. Yeah, I liked that one. I got really wine drunk that one. Yeah, that was a good one. We haven't drank wine in a long time. Yeah. Now, a little thing about Ken. He doesn't like the fair fight. He's he's basically a little punk. Okay? He doesn't like to fight unless he's got a, a gun and he just wants to shoot you. He's afraid. And you'll see that in a minute. Even though the entire town is afraid of him, you'll see what I'm talking about in a minute. But this is from one of his uh, high school friends named Bill Everhart talking about how he would just use a gun instead of fighting. My dad has a friend named Bill Everhart. He wasn't the kind of a man that would fight another man out in the streets. He used a gun. Trina actually goes to a foster home in another county, but Ken tracks her down, even though at the whole time of this foster home, now she's with her baby. She doesn't leave the house at all. Somehow he tracks her down. And I'm going to tell you about how he does this in a little bit, but he uses intimidation. Basically, he would start driving his truck real slow by the foster home and sometimes sitting out there for hours and hours and hours just looking at the house. And if the law was ever called, he would say, oh, my truck broke down, even though he was driving the newest truck because he had all his money from selling, stealing all his pigs and shit. He'd be like looking at his truck, you know. So he would do intimidation. And, and we'll get more into that in a second. This is from the book In Broad Daylight. The phone calls began not long after McElroy's visit. A man would demand to speak to Trina, and when Ginger refused... Ginger is the foster mom. He would call her a bitch and tell her that if she knew it was good for her, she better turn Trina back over. He didn't say to whom, just turn her back over. He said he was going to kill Trina. Tell my little bride that I'm coming to get her. He would say menacingly. He would always call her his little bride. Sometimes he would ask, Want to trade girl for girl? What are you talking about? Ginger asked, by now recognizing the voice. I know where your girls go to school and what bus they take. I think we ought to trade girl for girl, don't you? So now he's facing four felony charges, and he's even facing a death sentence for rape. Good. Oh, no, I don't believe in the death penalty. Well, you better start. But as in with all the rest of the 18 to 22 felonies. He, got, he was sentenced to death for his rape. For rape, charges. yeah, rape in Missouri wow. at that time was sentenced to death. Wow. But that's, out that's of all of his intense. 18 to 22 felonies, which I couldn't even keep count of anymore. It's the opposite of Canada. He goes off scot-free. Oh, great. This okay, is going so to play so in. So the public had a lot of faith in the law. That is exactly right. Yeah, yeah. The law, if the law was to ever fail... Because, you know, the sheriff was like, you got to trust in the system. The system. Well, the system ain't sometimes, doing jack fucking yeah, shit. Sometimes it, it don't. And he believed in one thing above all, and that was... Karma. No witness, no case. Oh. Thinking. He may have just been trying... This right here is the ex-marshal. He was the marshal of Skidmore for six months, and he quit. Because of Ken McElroy. He quit the marshal. He quit policing whatsoever. And now he's installing AT&T routers or whatever the fuck they had back then. This is the marshal. And he's saying right now he quit because of Ken. He said that he would believe in killing a man that wanted to put him in the pen for the rest of his life. We 
you frightened of him that night? Yeah, I sure was. Anytime you're looking at a gun, you don't know if he's going to shoot you or what he's even thinking. He may have just been trying to scare me. But I, he did the job. But every time I... So that guy right there, he was a sheriff, or he was the marshal of the county. And then McElroy, once he stopped him once for a traffic violation, McElroy put a shotgun into his face. And after that, this guy quit. So there's your faith in the, the law right there. There was actually only one that can put this guy in jail. It's him. There was actually only one cop, which we're going to talk about in a minute, that would actually not take any of his shit. And everyone else was scared of him. All the cops would stay away from him, everything. He is going to trial for this rape case of Trina. Now, he gets eight counts of molestation. But a few days before the trial started, he finds the foster home and somehow convinces Trina to marry him. Because uh. if they're married, then she can't bring these charges on. So basically, he's scot-free. Hmm. This, this is Trina. Yes, he was charged with it. But you, it's not true. You brought the charge against yes, him? Yes, and it's not true. Why did you do it? Jealousy. I was jealous over him, but it's not true. He never had He never had to do anything like that in the first place. He never oh, had to marry me please. to not go to prison for life? He raped you at 14, got you pregnant, and then when you were going to file charges, he made you marry him a few days before the trial. So what the fuck are you talking about? Now, this is how he paid for all of his kids and his lifestyle, all his fancy trucks and stuff. Oh, I'm sure he didn't pay child support or anything like that. He developed a network of girlfriends who would who lived on several farms in the area. Now, the women, they would basically take the stolen hogs and pigs and cows or whatever, and they would sell them at the market under their name. And then he would go and get the check, give them a little bit, and then pocket the, the rest. Hmm. Now, he was bankrupting these farmers. He was stealing air compressors, chemicals, cows, corn, hogs, tools, anything from these farmers that aren't making any money. These guys were suffering because of Ken McElroy. And as I said, those 60 people that left the bar that July 10th when he was shot in broad daylight, they were all farmers. They all fucking hated his guts. Yeah. Not only that, a town of 240 people, 60 farmers hates his guts. Everyone else hates his guts, which I'm going to tell you about in a minute. So basically, you guys get how he made money. I'm not going to go dive too deep into that. And how he made enemies beyond just these women. Yeah, right. He did have two girlfriends confess about the stealings and the way he makes money. But he would... I'm surprised he didn't have any farmers pressing charges. He did. He did. At one point, but then everyone would get scared of him because, as you'll see in a second, he would use fear and intimidation and brute firepower to intimidate someone. They called it the caravan. I saw that in the book. It was the caravan. So basically, here's what would happen. Let's say you steal a farmer's hogs and he goes reports it. Now, for the next two months, that guy, Kim McElroy, is going to take his truck, creep slowly by your farm every night twice a day whatever he's going to shoot his shotgun over your house he's going to have two other trucks with his two other women behind him in quote a caravan and they're just going to intimidate you 
and they're going to threaten you. And he's going to call your house and say, you're going to die. I'm going to fucking cut. I'm gonna, you're going to read some awful shit what he would say. For instance, here's one right now about intimidating a witness. You can read this. I'm going to kill you, McElroy said, unless you swear not to testify. He raised the gun in the air, then dropped the barrel in Otha's face again, pulling the hammer back and resting his finger on the trigger. I'm going to start at your feet and shoot all the way up until there's nothing left of you. Wow. He said. Okay, let's talk about Romaine Henry. He's a 41-year-old farmer, and just like everyone else, he's getting fucked over by this guy. Now, he doesn't really have any beef, if you will, with Ken McElroy, besides the fact that he's stealing all his fucking farm animals. On July 27, 1976, this guy is driving down a gravel road, and he sees Ken's green pickup truck. Were you the dirty son of a bitch over at my place in the white Pontiac? McElroy demanded. Confused and scared, looking down the barrel of the gun, Romain said he didn't know anything about a white Pontiac. You're a lying son of a bitch, snarled McElroy. He lowered the barrel and fired the shotgun. The blast tore a big hole in Romain's stomach, splattered Ooh. blood and pieces of flesh against the driver's door, and ripped holes in the panel. Romaine tried to move, but McElroy quickly pumped another shell into the chamber, thrust it into Romaine's face, and fired again. Romaine ducked just as the gun went off, but he felt stinging as the pellets tore a huge gash in his forehead and Oof. cheek. Okay, so now you guys can understand. I mean, this guy almost died. This is him right now giving an interview. This is Romaine, the farmer that was shot. It's amazing. He's alive. Right. Yeah, he barely... I mean, so the reason he's alive is because McElroy... His shotgun jammed and gave him a split second to get out of there. He just mm. basically put his truck in because, I mean, the guy was he was going to die because no witness, no crime. Right. Right. So he was going to kill him. He said, well, you're a lying SOB. And and when he said that, well, then he uh, more or less laid the barrel of that shotgun right against my stomach and pulled the trigger. And when he did, why, well, of course, it laid my flesh all open and blew my flesh into this door here. Okay, so just like in every one of the felony charges, he would intimidate witnesses to testify that he was with them and that he couldn't have been there. And basically he would pay his shady ass, slimy ass snake lawyer called McFadden. That's his name. He'd pay him like 40 grand to get him off. This was attempted murder and he walked free. So think about you're a townsfolk. You're calling the sheriff because your hogs have gotten stolen. You know it's from this guy. And then he winds up in trouble because for attempted murder, which anyone would go for years in prison, not only he doesn't even spend time in prison, maybe a day, but instead of spending years and years in prison or even months, he walks from the courthouse and goes into the tavern so everyone can see him. So everyone knows that he's bigger than the law. And everyone knows that no one can put him away. Do you see where this is going? Yeah. Do you see the fear that he's stirring up and the complete It's a shame shock? That, the, that the system, the, the justice system, system failed. Couldn't, yeah, couldn't do this the right way and right. had to resort to that. But I like it. it's apparent that he had to be stopped some way, shape or form. Correct. Now, the doctors found a gaping tear from the first gunshot that was eight inches left of his navel. He had powder burns. X-rays revealed at least seven different pellets in his abdomen. Mm. The pellets were removed and the wound eventually became infected. Now, let me talk about the Bowen camps. This is the next one. They own a small grocery in town. The only small grocery. This guy, as you'll see, is an old man. 
Okay, his name's Bo. And he's a very nice old man. He's like 70 something. Mm -hmm. Okay, and he runs this with his wife. There was one time when Trina and her, I don't know, 17 fucking babies came into the store. Now, they didn't know who this was, Trina, because they don't really buy into all this shit. But one of the daughters started stealing candy. So the owners of the store actually said, hey, you know, and and basically disciplined them for stealing candy. Well, Trina, which is the wife of the fucking monster, comes back in and starts raising Cain. I want to know, the woman yelled, raising a falsetto, jabbing the air in front of the two women. Which one of you fucking bitches accused my fucking kid of coming in this store and fucking raiding it? Lois and Evelyn stood mute in a state of shock. The woman, her face reddening and her blue eyes flashing, continued to spew forth, teetering on the edge of hysteria. I'm going to take one or both of you fucking bitches out here in the fucking street and whip your fucking asses off. Oh. He's a absolute peach. I've known him all my life. Besides the seven years I've been married with him, and he was never that way. He never caused... She's in fucking denial. Mm. Now, I do want to say, I'm going to tell you this now. He's gentle. After this, because you'll see Trina really sticking, you know, her neck out and saying, I loved him and all this stuff. About a week later, she signs a movie deal. Moving on. Really? No trouble with nobody. You know... He's a good man. What about the bowling camps? I wasn't with him that day. You know, I couldn't answer for that. I do know it was self-defense. His wife, Trina. Okay, so on July 8th, 1980, do you see that old man? That That old man up there? They had a confrontation. This guy was out on the dock like usual, enjoying the sunny day, watching cars go by. July 8th, 1980. Bose had stepped back into the store to retrieve the knife and finish cutting up the cardboard boxes. When he turned around, he found himself staring into both barrels of McElroy's shotgun. Isn't he just bluffing, Bo thought, or is he really going to shoot? Sensing the answer, Bo jerked to his right. At the same moment, he heard the boom of the shotgun and felt a searing pain on the left side of his neck. He crumpled to the floor. Oof. Did he live? He did live because wow. he barely got away. This he, guy he ba- hasn't killed anybody so far. Well, he barely turned. Now, there were kids, okay? There were like four kids. When Ken got there, he sent the kids in to get candy. Now, they saw the murder, or they saw the shooting. They saw the shooting. He attempted murder. But Ken approaches them before the court date and basically threatens the fuck out of them and says, you're not going to say that I was there. I wasn't there. You're going to say I was here. That wasn't me. That's how he kept getting away with this shit. And he has a lot of money. And he's got this slimy ass fucking lawyer. He's this complete shithead that you're going to hear from in a second that would get him off of fucking anything. So the law's not working. This is the second person he has shot and he ain't going to jail for third. it. Yeah. The third. One, the yeah. The one with the chin. Yeah. And he's fucking raping 14 year olds and he's doing whatever the fuck he wants. Stealing all your hogs and everything. He is a, this is a bully, not a bully, but he's the Debo, you know? So this case is, and I'll get to in a second, because we're going to relish into the shooting. Yeah. I saved that for last because this story, as I was reading 450 pages of this book, it made me so mad the shit that he would do. The absolute disrespect that he would do to people, poor people, 
you know, he would just walk all over him, tramp all, all over him. He would rape these women, get them pregnant, kick them out, say, fuck you, all this shit. And then, so I'm saving the best for last. We're going to talk about the, every fucking thing he went through. Because you wonder why 60 people were outside and they had a grand jury and all these special investigators come in and newsmen from across the fucking world. And even the CBS News, Tom Brokaw, they were all interviewing them. All the townsfolk, who did it? I know y'all didn't all duck for cover and you just see a smile on their face. I don't know. I guess we'll never know. Mm. No one said a fucking word. And this is 40 years later. And there's, this is still an unsolved case. These wow. people were still had their mouth shut. The whole town was in on it. It's fucking beautiful. Hmm. I think. <laughs> Bo is gurgling and mumbling, but the only words they can make out were, I'm dying. I know I'm dying. He had four wounds measuring one to two inches in length, one behind his left ear and a three inch left side of his neck. The doctor was amazed that he was alive. I mean, this guy's 70 years old. The pellets passed within half an inch of two major vessels. So was he not using real bullets? He was using No, shock. uh, No, for y'all, y'all non-gun people out there, a shotgun blast, it expels pellets like shrapnel. Oh. We had did a case like that before. So it's not like a regular bullet, which goes straight in and probably straight out with an exit wound. A shotgun blast... Uh, expands as it leaves the chamber and it just spreads pellets. That so was like the murder of marble. So it's great for home defense. So someone's breaking in, instead of, you know, trying to make a very accurate shot and shooting them, you sh- you just, yes. you know, broadly fucking shoot a shotgun at the front door and you'll hit them because gotcha. there's w- whatever, like 20 different pellets that are going to penetrate. That's the shotgun and that's what he was using. That was a good question. Hmm. The pellets passed within half an inch of two major vessels, the jugular vein and the carotid artery. If either one was hit, Bo was dead. Wow. He's lucky. Watching the world go by. That's him. Turned around while I was looking down the double barrel shotgun. And I thought to myself, now is he going to shoot or is he just going to scare me? So I thought if I was going to shoot, I better dodge over. So I dodged over just in time. He got the least my neck. And that's all that story because I was out the rest of the time. With that shooting of Bo, that old man, you saw him, that old man. Now, t- hey, tell me what's that going to do to the public? You have this them. old man. Nobody's safe from this guy. You have this old timer that hurts nobody. He just I mean, yeah, he's not going But at now, at this point, the whole town is terrified. But now we're reaching the top of the roller coaster. After this incident, now people's terror and fear became more of anger, more of vengeance, more of time to take this, this is this out. is it. You don't shoot an elderly man yeah. who did not have a weapon on him. He was cutting up boxes with a cardboard knife and he shot him in the neck. During the trial, the tr- this shady-ass, sneaky-ass, slimy-ass lawyer pushes the trial off. Okay, he gets out of prison on a $40,000 bond. So he pays that. And what does he do? He goes straight to the bar. Straight to the bar. So everyone will know that he just was in prison for attempted murder, but now he's at the bar drinking. And now he's enraged. He's talking about how he's going to go kill 
and finish off this guy and everything. Okay, uh, now you're starting to see like. So is this the same same time that he's at the bar when this incident occurs, or is that later? No, this is later. This is after he, he gets arrested, obviously, but then he gets out on bond real quick. I know is within it, like twelve hours. Is this particular time when he's at that bar right after he's on bond? Is yeah, that he when gets. This, occurs? this is how he does it. He gets out on bond from doing this horrific act, and then he goes and shows himself in public. Right? That's his scare tactic. Now, even the law is scared of him. The sheriff, after this happens, like Bo and them, they start getting threats, calls, everything. They're coming by the house. The caravan's coming by their house. They actually shoot at his house with a shotgun. But by the time the law gets there, they can't accuse him of anything. It's this fucking thing where the law's not working. Okay. No matter what you say, it ain't working. There's so much circumstantial evidence, too. And he's got all his money for this slimy lawyer. And he's basically intimidating witnesses and stuff like that. The law ain't working at this point. And everyone's starting to know that. You know, it is not that hard to figure out. So they got to take it into their own hands. The sheriff actually says when um when, when one of the citizens gets worried about the, the threats and everything he's getting, the sheriff says, nah, don't worry about it. He won't do nothing. Oh, he may harass you a little bit, but he won't do nothing serious. That's the fucking sentiment. There was one cop, though, that just did not give a shit about this guy. And everyone, I I believe this was kind of the turning point because this one cop, one cop out of the whole force was not scared of him and tried to bust him every fucking time. He would sit out there waiting for him to steal cows and stuff like that and trying his best. Even still, he wasn't successful. Yeah, he wasn't successful, but... He was in a point because he started to, you got to change the whole town sentiment of fear and, you know, scare, being scared of this guy to what the fuck are we going to do? And this guy is st- the first guy that would stand up to him. Old Stratton nailed his ass around Fillmore right off H going south, took him by himself, I guess, ran him down and dropped a shotgun on him before he could twitch. Got Trina, too. I hear he slapped those cuffs on so tight that McElroy whined all the way to jail. Stratton is a tough son of a bitch. He probably would have loved to blow old Ken away. McElroy is goddamn lucky to be alive. Stratton could have dropped him on the spot. Mm. McElroy knew better than to fuck with Stratton. Yeah, so that was like the adversary. No other cops would even arrest him. And if they did, they know they're getting the phone. Like Stratton's wife, they would get the phone calls. They would get the the harassments. Okay, I'm going to ask this now then. So even though like no one really came forward, it also seems like after, I mean, about um who killed McElroy, but when it came time to the analysis when he died, like they could have done some ballistics analysis and figured out who, like what bullet. Not if all the farmers get together and go take all the rifles and melt them down in a big old pot. Is that what what, they did? Yeah, that's what they did. There was no weapons. McElroy was shot three times by three different weapons. I was just thinking maybe the police was like, eh, whatever. No, the police in this town was like, eh, but then it became national. And that's why they had to bring that's why they had to bring an outside party in to do it. And so it would be unbiased. And every news station came out here like, oh, I'm gonna break this case. I'm gonna get the one fucking person out of the entire fucking town wow. of 250 people. The one person, there's gotta be one person, a kid or something. Cause there was a lot of people out there. There was probably 60 to 70 people that saw this. Mm. The one person, not 
no it is one fucking did. forty what? something years later, and no one has said a fucking word. I know, and I kind of feel bad. Like, I mean, it's kind of brilliant that they thought of that to go melt down all those rifles or whatever. So that well, there they was would be one quote. There was one quote when a. Uh, uh, I think it was Bo's wife said, uh, oh, God, now it's over. And then she didn't say who said this. He goes up to her. It's over. Now you stand behind us. Does that make sense? <laughs> it's like, it's over now. You know what I'm saying? Like, you stand behind us kind of shit. Like To Trina? They, no, they to have... fucking the Bo's wife, the one that got oh, shot. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah. Trina... Oh, she's a fucking piece I'm of shit. I'm surprised too. she didn't say anything. With she how did. She's... She did. But who's going to fucking believe her? Are you fucking kidding me? Well, no one. Holy I'm... shit. Half the t- I, I've seen interviews where half the people in this town were like, you know what? The only mistake we made was we didn't fucking kill that girlfriend of his. Wow. That's the only mistake in this whole case. Well, I'm kinda... And I fucking believe it. I would have shot her dead in a fucking horse. I know. Ken Rex McElroy was a perfect gentleman. This is the lawyer. This is a sleazy fucking lawyer right here. They got him out of all these felonies, all this child rape and everything. This is a sleazebag lawyer. The lawyer, an awful lot. Yes, and I asked him about that. And he said, well, it's a set of circumstances. He says, they're they're trying to get me. They're harassing me. I didn't do it. But he did have a reputation for violence. He was known as the Jesse James of Northwest Missouri. I have heard him called the Jesse James of the Northwest part of Missouri. That is correct. Well, he wasn't. So he might not have been the perfect gentleman that you just said he was. I say only in his relationship with me. He was a a fearless type person. In other words, anybody say, you can't go here, and if it's his right to go, and it, and it wasn't a judge or somebody telling him he couldn't do it. He would go if he wanted to go. But he was more than that. He was more than just fearless. He was harassing people. And you know something? I have never been able to verify uh, these allegations that he was harassing anybody. No. The local pre- yeah, so that's a sl- sleazy-ass lawyer that would get him out of everything. With enough money, anyone can get you out. Mm. Okay, now, after this, he is potentially going to go to prison. He's out on bond, but now he's intimidating witnesses and everything else, and he's actually claiming it was self-defense. You heard Trina say self-defense. Bullshit. So, just to drive the point home where even if you did have a problem, you wouldn't say anything about it, this is it. As McElroy waged his campaign of harassment against Bowen Camps and met no resistance from the lawmen who were paid to keep the peace, the townspeople began to realize that the community was standing alone and that anyone who tried to do something about McElroy would stand alone as well. Now, even the minister, which this is his job, goes to visit Bo in the hospital. His name is Tim Warren, and you'll hear from him in a little bit. He goes in there. And comforts him because that's his job. He's a fucking minister of the town. Right. As soon as he gets to his home, not even 10 minutes before he walks in the door, his fucking phone rings. Guess who it is? Mm. Yeah. If you don't mind your own business, we'll have to hurt you. What? It's my job, Warren responded, and I'm going to continue to do it no matter what you say. You're going to be sorry, the caller said, then hung up. You don't threaten a minister. Yeah. That's like negative karma points. Oh, yeah. This guy has got plenty of karma coming. Now, so the minister basically told him to fuck off. And he said, if you come around me, I'm going to fucking kill you. That's exactly what he said. For the first month or two, the phone calls came every other day or so, even on the days he hadn't seen Bo. 
The voice called the minister fat boy, stupid, cocksucker, and other vulgar names. Sometimes the threats were short descriptions of what would happen. Other times the caller rambled on in lurid detail, as if he were enjoying it. If you keep on minding other people's business instead of your own, we're going to rape your wife in front of you, and then we're going to cut your little boy's sex organs off and make him eat them while you watch, oh the gosh. voice would say. Oh. We're going to tie you up and cut you into little pieces, and then all of us are going to fuck your wife in front of you, and then we're going to kill her. Oh, my God! If you're so brave, Warren finally yelled, come ahead and do it. The collar hung up. Yeah, hung up like a fucking bitch. This is you're the minister he's talking to. The minister says, you know, if you're so brave, come on, motherfucker. Who says that shit? You, dude. Yeah, now now you guys want to fucking not say who the fuck shot this guy. It's amazing that they were all. <laughs> I mean, that is a that's well, a lot of people how. to I'm keep I'm gonna tell a you about a second. This is the menace. Machine gun. I noticed that he and and Trina were out of the truck, and he had the machine gun out and in his hand. And I had a gun with me. I didn't want to use it, but if the man would put a clip in that gun, I would have used it to protect my family. On the first Sunday in September, Tim Warren was outside playing ball with his son when the phone rang. Warren ran inside to answer it. I'm tired of warning you and telling you, said the familiar male voice. I'm going to come over and castrate you. Then I'm going to cut your little boy up into pieces and feed him to you while you're laying there bleeding from castration. And we're going to send you pieces of your wife's body in an envelope. And you're going to know that we're killing her bit by bit. It's too late now, you fat son of a bitch. You pushed me too far. You're so brave on the phone, Warren practically yelled, and I'm tired of your threats. If you're so brave, I'm going to set my little boy and my wife up on the porch right now, and if you come and try to get them. You want to use knives? We'll use knives. You want to use guns? We'll use guns. But I'll tell you what, you're not going to walk away alive if you show up. No one came, and the call stopped for a while. That's wow. him. That's the the one that everyone's afraid of. But now the perception changes because he's going to court for this shooting of the old man Boeing camp, but right. he's out on bond and everyone's fucking done. Right. Right. Dude, everyone's done. <laughs> you don't shoot this old man and do this shit to this minister and you walk into the bar. I Are you like fucking the serious? Folk must have had like a planning meeting about this. Well, here's what happens. Trina and Ken, they walk into the bar. Now Trina's carrying an M1 rifle is what they use in the war. And it's got a bayonet on it. And Ken starts waving around. He's drinking. He's saying, I'm going to fucking destroy this guy. I'm going to finish the job with Bo, kill this old man, all this stuff. One guy named Pete Ward. Now, he is a, a retired army officer that served in Vietnam. Oh, don't he, fuck with this guy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's about not, to lay down this the fucking is the, law. This is the fucking, crazy. Like, this is the one, crazy. This is the one point in the story where everything changes. Everyone's so scared of this asshole. And then they see this guy and it just completely flips. This is a turning point. He stands up and he says, quote, if that son of a bitch comes up this way with that rifle, said Pete, I'm going to blow him away. He walks up, he gets his rifle out of his truck and he goes sits by the, the Bowen camp's place. You know, the one that he was threatening. Mm -hmm. And only two people saw this whole encounter go down, but the whole town knew it and it changed all the perceptions. Instead of doing like he's saying, I'm going to go finish him up, his truck went the opposite way. Really? After this Vietnam vet said, come on, motherfucker. Come on. Let's uh -huh. do it right now. He drove the other way. Hmm. After that, game over. 
game over. No one gave two fucks about this guy. Everyone was out to get him. No one's scared anymore. That one fucking thing changed. And that's what we call a shift of power. Only two people saw it, but it's like a hypnotist when you're hypnotized and then he snaps his finger and now you, you're completely conscious. You know everything. You're out of your trance. You know exactly what the fuck is going on. That's what the, the thing was like. On July 10th, the murder day, was the day when a petition was signed to get this guy out of the town. He could never come into town at all. And this guy, Pete Ward, and his sons signed this. And they were the four signers that started this. So now they got a hit on their head. But July 10th is when was when Ken was supposed to be going to prison, going to trial. Right. So they'd be safe. July 10th comes the shady, sleazy piece of shit lawyer pushes it back to July 12th, July 20th, which is 10 days of them being basically unprotected by this fucking maniac that had created a petition to get him out of the county. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So they all show up at this little community center and there's 60 farmers in there and they're all talking about what to do. The sheriff's there. The mayor's there. Everyone is there. Everyone is there. I want to say everyone is there. Okay. Then someone comes in and says, guess who is at the fucking bar? All the people go out of the community center, the 60 farmers, and they fill up this bar. It was only Ken. I bet that's the big pack. Most pack that bar is. I'll show you the bar. This is the bar right here. Because no one ever is probably there at the same time. They're all just 60 people if a town of 250. Right. That's, yeah, the shit. That's like almost the entire town. This is the the newer bar, newer um, picture of the same bars. I don't think it's a bar anymore, but that's what it is now. We ID. So pretty small. There was two people in there. Literally him, Ken, his wife, and the bartender. So three. Now you got 60 people coming in there. And they all sit around this bar and they all stare at him. It's okay. fucking awesome. Yeah. They're all just staring at him. Okay. And it's just like so... It's just, it, I can't even imagine it. I mean, imagine going to a bar and everybody's just looking at you like with their eyes, just like, I mean, 60 people just walked into a bar. It's never held 60 people right. in the whole fucking existence. And now everyone's coming in there, maybe ordering a drink just to do it. And then they're just looking at you. Basically, Ken says, all right, I guess it's time to go. Okay. Huh. And now we go back to the 10th. Everyone follows him out. Everybody follows him out of the fucking bar. Everybody. It was it was the craziest shit. We left the DNG and went to our pickup. And uh, as soon as we walked out the door, everybody else walked out the door behind us. And they gathered around on my side over here, on my passenger side of the truck. He hadn't started the pickup yet. But we were just sitting there. I looked at them to see what they was looking at and see if they wanted anything. And they were just staring. I knew. They were just staring. This huh. is in the middle of the day. They were standing behind his truck. He couldn't even get out. They were just, sta- it was like a, a horror movie when you see just the monster or whatever just staring. Yeah. Like, you know what I'm saying? The eyes just fixated. Like, everyone had a goal. Okay. Did she name so any? You, yeah, she named some people, but no one was ever tried. When Trina got to the pickup, she noticed that men were still coming out of the tavern. Most of those inside, except Red Smith, came out. 
Many of them turned west up the hill and several stood on the edge of the sidewalk and the street between the Silverado and the car parked next to it. All the men were staring in their direction. She turned to Ken. What are they staring for? She asked. I don't know, he replied. It's like this weird air, you know, it's just like this tension. There's a clear plan. In this town. There's no plan. They were in the community center and they had no idea what to do. They were discussing how they're going to protect this this Vietnam vet and his sons from being murdered by this guy because they got 10 days before he was going to trial. Right. And then someone walks in and is like, this motherfucker's at the bar right now. So they don't have a plan. The sheriff's there. The mayor's there. But yeah, everyone's there. And then it's just like, we don't know what to do. Let's just go in the bar. And no one has a plan. So everyone's just sitting around the bar staring at him. No one knows what to fucking do. So he leaves. And then everyone's just standing around him. Still don't know what to fucking do. Hey, guys. But some people it's like, go get their guns. It's like this awkward fucking silence. And most people had guns on them. It's like the awkward silence. And then it just, someone who Trina does name, pulls out a fucking rifle and starts it. One shot, boom, straight into the back of his head. And this is who she blamed, but he has never been tried. Listen to this. You said, why has no one been tried? Yes, Trina says, you did it. Okay, 60 other people says you didn't. Mm. Who the fuck are they going to believe? True. They've got guns, she cried. Ken didn't move. Trina watched as Dell squeezed the trigger, and then she heard the crack of the shot and the sound of the rear window blowing apart. She turned to look at Ken and saw a huge hole in his cheek and then mm. shattered the real rear window. She turned to look back at Dell and saw his finger pull the trigger again, and she heard the explosion of a second shot. She looked at Ken and saw that he had been hit a second time. Oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, Trina screamed. Please stop shooting him. Please stop shooting. You saw the truck look like Bonnie and Clyde. At the end. Yeah. Let's backtrack when we first started this episode. And I said, not only is this guy gunned down in broad daylight, but no one decided to call the ambulance. Right. No one decided to call the cops. The medics didn't get there to an hour and a half later. Okay. Do you see why? Yeah. Because no, no one's going to call him. Why? Because if he ain't dead, he's got to fucking die before they get there. Right. Mm-hmm. They don't want them to come save him. In fact, when the medics did pull, this is the craziest shit you've ever heard. When the medics pulled up, they backed the ambulance up. They got out their defibrillators. You know, they got to save this guy. Okay. He brings the defibrillator over there, puts it down by the truck. Uh, I got to go back and get some bandages. He And then the medic goes back and the defibrillator's gone. So what's Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. They stole the fucking medical equipment. You know why? This guy is dead, but I ain't taking no chances. You ain't bringing this fucking asshole back. No way. You ain't bringing this VI back. Wow. They stole the defibrillator. That's crazy. (laughs) They picked up all the shells and everything. everything. All the shells are cleaned out. It's like he just got shot by invisible bullets. Yeah, exactly. And. They they took the medical equipment. Well, that's I mean, probably why nobody co- more more so the reason why nobody called us so they could go kind of clean up the crime yeah scene clean up. it up oh yeah and you'll hear in a second this old lady said that when the reporter asked her did why did no one see anything she's like I guess we just all dove and then you just watch her face she's like smiling like. <laughs> 
This is what I was yeah. told to say. Dude, all right. This is a yeah. crazy story. So the accelerator's kind of a on the floor. town, yeah. honestly. Like, I'm like, I know, kind of right? It's the, the greatest town. town ever. Accelerator's on the floor. Engine blows out. His teeth actually ended up on the dashboard. Oh, gross. Because, Whoa, yeah. <laughs> that's fucking crazy. Yeah. Ugh, I don't want to picture that. Because it's not like denture. Like I know. Pl- it's like individual teeth. Gross. Ugh, gross. Trina was rescued. She pisses all over herself. Well, hell, I'd piss myself too, probably. In the truck is what forensic scientists called and police called high-speed blood. But we know it is fine red mist when you shoot someone the pressure differential or whatever i don't even know how it works sprays out this little mist of blood like like sprays it like an aerosol can yeah that is all over the window from the back of his head okay there were two bullets that were hit there were 10 to 20 bullets fired from different rifles different guns even a shotgun there were pellets in the back of his neck it was a free-for-all. It wasn't one guy. I mean, it was like multiple, multiple people. people. Like the shells were like from literally, I mean, only three different people hit them. But the shells were like from the whole town. First was a 30-30. It shattered the rear window, penetrated the lower neck and splattered blood into the top of the seat into the fine red mist. You know, the yeah. like mm-hmm. an aerosol can. The bullet continued through his tongue and his mouth yeah. on the dashboard police found the following items an unlit cigarette chunks of his lower left cheek <laughs> and broken teeth shattered all over the dashboard the bullet caused multiple skull fractures that happened in a starburst pattern it penetrated the right hemisphere into his pituitary gland and the force of the bullet actually slammed his left side of his brain into the skull just like the cte of the football players you know getting a yeah. brain concussion and it hit so hard from the blast, this is how close this high-powered rifle was, that it shattered his left brain into several pieces. His brain split into pieces Whoa. on his left side. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Jeez. Crazy. The second shot was from a twenty-two. The upper part of his skull, quote, tumbling widely, chewing the brain into tiny bits and pieces. End quote. The third shot was from a shotgun, left two pellets in the back of his neck. 50 to 60 people have seen this. The guy from 60 Minutes, which you'll hear right now, says, how is this possible? 60 people and no one seen what happened. It's not that they're saying they, they're not going to say anything. It's just none of the town's seen it. Nobody's seen it at all, which is fucking amazing. Or there may have been as many as 50 or 60 people, and yet not a single person admits to seeing who fired the shots. No witnesses. Listen to this. Listen to this. No witnesses. No witnesses, huh? Watch this old lady. How come no witnesses? Everybody died for cover? Look at her face. At least five ah! shots. <laughs> I feel like her name is Gladys or something. Yeah. Everybody died for look at that face. <laughs> that is that is great, dude. I'm sorry. I've never wanted to see someone die so bad in my life. But if you read this book, you understand how he tormented these people to death. It's just awful. He got what was coming to him. And then, as I said, uh, as I point to earlier, at the very end of thing, Trina and even the sleazy ass lawyer signed a movie deal. 
uh, right after this. Anyway, that's the story. That's fucking how the town, even to this day, people still go up there and ask who did it. The wow. whole town, till this day, the people that are still alive, they know. And if you, if you watch some of the interviews from the local people, you can tell they all know. Oh, yeah. I wonder like, if someone puts it in their will. Like, no, there know. was. I actually saw a deathbed confession of someone, one of the town folk, and that question was asked. And, oh, I didn't see anything. Wow. You know, them. it's it's like this. It only works it's if this everyone crazy, is crazy, you know but it's I mean? this town. It, it would not work in a town like this. The town is is isolated. Everyone knows each other, and there's this unspoken bond yeah. mm-hmm. that they don't have to go tell everyone. Okay, let's use this story. Everyone already knows what to do because they are family. Everyone yeah. in that town of 250 people, they know who each other. Who you know? They know everyone. They know who did this, but it's the town that committed the murder, right. and not no one has ever, ever confessed in this forty years. And people still this is an unsolved case. Crazy. So that's a Ken McElroy story. That's from uh, Steve. Damn, Steve! Wow. Way yeah. to pick story. a good yeah. one, dude. Yeah, that was a good story. Mm-hmm. Was it? Yeah, it was. I'm glad you did that one. If you enjoy this episode, be sure to hit that subscribe button or whatever podcasting app you use. If you like this story, you can follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. If you're absolutely obsessed with this podcast and want to become our bully, go to talkmer.com slash join. Become a Talk Primo. Get a badass t-shirt, sticker swag, a lot of love. Shout it out all over the place. Tell me what story you want me to do. I'll research it, dedicate it to you on the Talk Murder to Me podcast. My name is John, here with Jen and Nicole. And until next time, he had it coming. No, say well, we it now. You gotta say it. No, I was gonna say, I was looking at a dog thing. I could put the dog collar on it, and every time I mean, y'all can shock me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I would thoroughly enjoy that, actually. <laughs> that would be pretty fun. You need to appreciate us for what we have to go through. What are you talking about? Well, yeah, I can't say we. I've never <laughs> had a kid. I've never had a child. Nicole hasn't either, so. Nope. What womankind has to go through, okay? Yeah. You That's think why you're here. Do you think it's easy to push a human out of you, John? Okay, we're on like seven. Would you like to imagine a human head coming out of your pee hole? It's not the same. Vaginas are wider than pee holes. Not that not much. much wider. Yeah, they are. Vagina, your vagina it can open up further than a pee pee hole. But it, but it. Sh- so yeah, I hate that okay, analogy. Okay, hang on. Because you don't push hang a baby on. out of your little pee pee hole. Right, imagine think pushing about- a kidney stone out of your pee pee hole. It's not the same, Jen. Like I, if I had a vagina, it wouldn't be that bad because it's oh, bigger. Excuse me. <laughs> it wouldn't be. That Did you know bad? that? Let's the, ask our mothers. The equivalent of pain that men would have to feel for childbirth oh is, 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 is the equivalent of. <laughs> taking your scrotum and like pull, trying to pull it over your head. Do well, it, but I don't want to watch, but you should do it and one, report the results. Number one, when we were monkeys at one point and we were on all fours, childbearing was a lot less painful, you know, know than it is when you're standing up. I watched a girl give birth and she was in pain. She was not having it, okay? Yeah, Animals but did they have, have to give her too. an epidural? You no. don't have to get an epidural. You can you choose to do it to make it better, but but you don't get you don't necessarily give epidural. I literally you watched one goat in your life, dude. I grew up on a farm. I've watched I don't know a thousand goats give birth, 
And it's like way easier than a female. Yeah, but my goat females gave birth are like, to oh my two God, babies, right, okay? Wait, whatever. All right. Now, Sharon had a, well, let me see. <laughs> How many goats have you seen, Nicole? Another. None, and we'll keep it that way. <laughs> I just want to give a shout out to the receptionist at my doctor's office today who complimented my eyebrows. It really made my day. Your eyebrows are, they look like what a human would have on their face. Well, the only thing that I <laughs> they're the only thing that I have going for me, so I try to maintain their shape. <laughs> Are you not gonna drain? You can have it. Cause you don't drain with us in the onda. You can have it. You don't drain with us because you don't want you want me to delete the podcast. Don't be like that. Well, no peer pressure. We used to drain. Yeah. I don't like the drain. Well, I'm I'm does now. I got the stores I got to do, and I you want something else to onda. Go ahead. I'm going to get something else. You can take that. No, because what's rule number? Uh, I'll get something else. How about that? What are you going to get? Like a shot of pickle juice no, and was... pretend to be drones? Meyer Brand Snacks promise the great value you expect with a quality guarantee in every bite. And summertime snacking is our most favorite snacking season of all because Meyer Brand makes it deliciously easy. From new lemonade flavors to classic ingredients for backyard s'mores to creamy ice cream varieties like new limited edition purple cow by Meyer Very Berry Americana with ribbons of real strawberry and blueberry swirls waving in creamy vanilla ice cream. Stop into Meyer and discover big taste and bigger savings on Meyer brand summertime snacks. Greenlight is the debit card and app for kids and teens. Now with investing. Investing is key to building long-term wealth. And with Greenlight, your kids can learn to invest at any age. They research stocks to buy, invest as little as $1, and you approve every trade. Track progress over time and learn about the world of investing together. Ready to invest in your kids' futures? Visit greenlightcard.com today for your free month trial.